Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 3, and can be found on page 615 in the Bibles we provide and on page 118 of our Children's Bibles. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant." my steadfast, sure covenant for David. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, and can be found on page 900 in the Bibles we provide and on page 254 of the Children's Bibles. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of Christ. Good morning. It's wonderful to be back with you for the second, hopefully, word of encouragement from the last little epistle in the New Testament before the book of Revelation. We're looking at the little book of Jude. You see on the screen the numbers in the church Bibles, if you care to turn there. If you have your own Bible, then again, go all the way to the book of Revelation and go left, and you're right there at the book of Jude. Uh, Let me, before I read these verses that we're going to walk through uh, verse by verse, let me remind us of the context of this little letter and why I chose to look at Jude for two weeks with you with this theme of encouragement. Encouragement in Scripture is to come alongside of. It's to show up with a corporate gaze towards the God of all hope. We don't need cheerleaders. We need to have a foundation and a true basis upon which we can find courage and hope. Jude does this for us. Remember his story I shared with you last week that Jude... It was a half-brother of Jesus, which meant that after Joseph and Mary had Jesus, they had other children. And Jude and James, two writers of the New Testament, what's unique about their story is that apparently neither one of them, though they grew up and lived in very close proximity to Jesus, neither of them believed he was unique until after his resurrection. Now, as we shared last week, what's wonderful about that for all of us in this room, those just maybe beginning to explore the gospel or the oldest follower of Jesus in this room, there's a real lesson about proximity of Jesus. You can be, you can be in the church long before you come to Christ, like was my story. But also, the older we get, there's always more of Jesus to see, more of his beauty, more of a, an understanding of of the wonder of his love and the authority of his current reign. Living in proximity to Jesus, a theme of getting to know him better and better and better. We'll, We'll go there in a moment, but hold on to that thought that whoever you are in this room, there's always 
more of the gospel. There's not more than the gospel. There's more of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me read this text now, and then we'll walk through three affirmations I want to make today to a church that has some history, but also to a church that needs to understand the best years are not in the past, that we are living now in our place in God's story. And we need a vision and understanding that would move us further into God's story. So here, God's word, I'm going to read from Jude the one chapter of Jude, verses 20 through 25. He writes, But you, dear friends, be building yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them to others. Show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Now, let me briefly pray once again. Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you for the wonderful legacy of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church. Lord, I, I, again, give you praise for getting to know Don Hoke. And those days, and, and having a good friend, John Wood, thank you, Lord, that there's so much story. But Lord, there's more story. And I thank you today, Lord, that we can listen to your word and engage with fresh vision. Lord, none of us are called to retire, but to refuel, refocus, reframe as we live towards the day when Jesus will return to finish making all things new. Lord, I pray encouragement for us today, not hype, but hope. So make your word real, make Jesus beautiful, make this gospel a current, present power, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, what we did last week was just look at the first couple of verses of Jude. And you'll, if you were here or were not here, what I did was to see how in this letter, one of the first things that believers of every generation need to always lean into and come alive to is the calling to cherish our identity by the gospel. To cherish our identity. See, every single day, every season in life, everybody in this room, consciously or unconsciously, we're comparing ourselves to something or someone's. Someone is narrating our life. And there's a value system. It may come through social media, may have been inherited by our family of origin, could just be the latest trend, but identity is a central theme. And it's why Jude, when he began his letter to Christians just like us who were living in a broken world, he reminded us of these three words. Who are we as followers of Christ from the youngest to the oldest? We are, as Jude says, called, loved, and kept. We saw last week that in the Bible, calling is so much more profound than invitation. It's a subpoena. We, by God's 
kindness have been subpoenaed to hope, grace, and mercy. We, we have been called. We have been powerfully called out of death into life. And that calling is eventuated in a special relationship with God as Father. We are loved. We are the beloved, as we saw. Beloved of God. That's not a Southern term. It's a profound term of God saying, for all who trust in my son Jesus, I treasure them. I know them. And and knowing them perfectly, all their beauty and their brokenness, I absolutely delight in them. You see, it's so central that more than anything else, As we grow as believers, we want to grow in that understanding that we are beloved by the Father. Thirdly and lastly, as we saw last week, kept by and for Jesus Christ. We are kept by Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of falling out of God's favor. If you're a Christian, it's because somebody did something for you you could never do for yourself, and that's namely Jesus. You can't become unborn again. You're never going to be orphaned out of the family of God. That's important because as we'll see in this text, Christians are not perfect. We are perfectly forgiven. And and, and the Bible anticipates that churches like ours, we're, we're gonna go through seasons. You heard me share last week of two heart wounds in my story that I only began to take seriously as a 50 year old guy, 50 year old pastor. Though both of them happened at 11 years old and eight years old. See, we, we are, we're a community called to, to, to come, uh, come aware of the fact that someone's holding on to us, that the goodness of the gospel is not your grasp of Jesus, but his grasp of you. We are kept by and for Christ. More about that future in a moment. But here's what's so neat about this letter. Jude next goes into the section we're looking at really talking about, so what does it mean to be the body of Christ? So as, as we develop and cherish this individual identity of called, loved, and kept, how is that supposed to impact what it means to be a church, whether you are in Knoxville, Tennessee, or Macedonia, or Lower Slobovia, or Krakow, Poland? Every community, every church, whether it's an old church or brand new church plant, is to cultivate these three things. And here are the three things we're going to talk about for about the next 18 minutes or so. We who are called to cherish our identity in the gospel are to grow in the riches of the gospel, and we are to extend the welcome of the gospel. And lastly, as we will see, we are to marvel at the Lord of the gospel. Look at verse 20 with me. We want to talk about how... As believers, we want to be continually growing. I think that's, again, an important word for Cedar Springs Press because y'all have some remarkable older saints in this church. And it's an awesome, beautiful thing to see people that are more of my generation. You know, knowing my next birthday is number 70, it feels good to be in a room of people that have passed that marker and still can complete sentences (laughs) and move about in the world. It's awesome this church has a heritage of men and women that know and love God and and continue to do so. It's great to see so many generations here. When when notice what Jude would say to us about, here's what you should pray for the future of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church or any church. But you, dear friends, the Greek would say, be building yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of Jesus. Now, let's talk about this in the context of, truly, how are you praying for the future of Cedar Springs? Some of you might be tempted to think, well, we're a big church, an old church, and we know 
really we're kind of in our waning years. Order the gold watch and cane where the used to be glorious church. Now, I haven't tasted that from anybody here. You see, there's just some kind of notion that it's only young church plants that really should anticipate significant movement of God's spirit. And I'm here to say today, I'm thankful for church planting movements. As a church planter, as a guy that coaches church planters a good part of my week, I'm thankful for that. But uh, as someone that's lived in Nashville now for 40 years, I'm watching older churches like yours come alive and be renewed. And it looks like this, this picture here of building yourselves up in the faith, which would mean we're always called to be studying the scripture, not to confirm our prejudices, but to see more of the glory and the grace of God. If any of you think you graduate out of and beyond excitement in Christ, enthusiasm, astonishment, let me tell you about one of my favorite people in the world right now. Again, you already know from my accent, as we said last week, I'm from a little town called Graham, North Carolina. Well, in the Burlington Graham area, I have an aunt who, after my mom died, was one of the kind people that showed up in my life, but she kind of showed up. My aunt Cynthia, on my mom's side of the family, she was married to my uncle Max, my mom's oldest brother, and Cynthia literally was a daughter of an American general, and she felt like herself a general. Now, she could order life wonderfully and get stuff done and whip you into shape, but two years ago, when I buried my father at my dad's funeral, Aunt Cynthia showed up, and she was early in her 80s, and she looked like a veritable glowworm. She had just had an encounter with the Spirit of God. And the faith that she intellectually affirmed had taken hold of her. Right now, my Aunt Cynthia, who has cancer, who lives in Burlington, uh, who is just a remarkable human being, is now, I think, mid-80s. Maybe she's 88. And I don't know of a Christian anywhere in the world in all my travels right now that has a greater sense of awe of the gospel of God's grace, a greater sense of vibrancy of investing her life for how many more breaths God's going to give her. I'm thankful to see that, that, you know, when we read Jude's words, these aren't to young whippersnappers. It's like to the whole family of God. What is the vision you have, old Cedar Springs, for your future? You're not praying towards, you know, your next senior pastor who's going to show up as the fourth member of the Trinity. You guys are healthy, okay, right? I'm praying with you for whoever that's going to be. But you need to know there's, the Lord is very alive here, and there's a lot of you that, that need to know, 60, 70, 80 years old, your prime is not over. As Jude writes, we are to be building ourselves up in this faith. We are to be praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I think in some ways it answers to Jesus' statement when he, he, Jesus, was looking at his generation and he took on his lips the words of Isaiah the prophet. When God through Isaiah said to that generation of his people, this people worship me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to basically say, when we gather, we gather to worship God, not just sing about God. It's a picture here of, as you see yourself getting older, understand the Spirit of God is not limited to your cellular structure or your birth certificate. My spiritual father, Jack Miller, the older he got, the closer to dying as a young man at age 67, the more childlike and the more astonished he was at the beauty 
of Jesus and, and, the, and the theological integrity of the gospel, but he was alive. Do you see yourself getting more rigid or more aware of the beauty of our God? It was great. Let me say this. These last two weeks gave me chills hearing you are a singing church. A bunch of Presbyterians were singing about dancing two minutes ago. And don't worry, the end of the service is not going to be break dancing here in the front of the sanctuary. But you, you get it. You understand it. That this is a head, heart, hand, head, heart, hand relationship with the living God. And, and the idea of praying in the Spirit is be, be a congregation that worships. Let me tell you, those who are not yet a part of Cedar Springs, and I'm talking about people that don't even trust Christians, they come in your midst and they sense that this is a people that love God. This is a people not talking about the outsiders. Look at the way they sing. Listen, look, listen, look, watch. Jude says, as we grow older, continue to be building yourselves up in this faith. Pray in the spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy. What does the Bible mean when it says to us, keep yourself in the love of God? Let me tell you what it does not mean. It's not work hard to put a smile on God's face. If you are a Christian, you have God's favor permanently resting on you. This is rather the image of as you grow in Christ, keep yourself, camp out and abide and remain in the love of God. Stay aware that there is, as we said last week, only one love better than life. Some of you survive Valentine's Day without being celebrated. I trust you got up the next morning. There's only one love, and Judah's saying, and all of your relational longings understand, God truly loves you. Live, see, don't just read the Bible. See the Bible as the cradle of the Christ. Know that there's just, again, more of his beauty. Again, do you see what, what's going on in this first section as I speedily race to the next? Judah's saying to Christians, to churches, be aware, stay aware, grow in gospel astonishment. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And that's actually the promise of hope. Judah is saying to all of us, never lose context of the chronology or the teleology, the direction of where history is going. And he's basically saying your future is defined by God's mercy. Jesus is coming back to finish making all things new. Through his resurrection, he's already at work. You don't have to be afraid of the world we live in. You don't have to tie any goodness to anything in the culture or the world to anybody sitting in any chair in the White House or the Kremlin or anywhere else. Psalm 2 says the nations conspire against our God and he laughs. He's enthroned his son. Doesn't make us triumphalistic. It means that we live in love in our communities. We become known as Christians. The older we get, the more humble, the more secure we are in Christ. And therefore, we become the neighbors. We become those that care about people. This is in a religious club where this is not the insiders and they're the bad guys because they slept in this morning. Beautiful picture leading to what? The second of three things I want to say this morning. As we grow in Christ, as we understand our identity, we want to continue to be growing in the riches of the gospel, past, present, and future. We want to begin to smell now the grass of the new earth so that we do live in love missionally. It takes us to this one, extend the welcome of the gospel. And this takes us into some of the odd language we read a moment ago. Look at, listen to verse 22. 
Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, if you're scratching your head saying, what in the flying Houdini of world of dancing monkeys does that mean? You're in good company. So what does it mean? Jude is giving a picture that as Christians are growing, continuing to grow, as they grow in humility, as they grow in in an awareness of the love of God, they become those who are not shocked when those in their midst or those in their city act out destructively. What Jude describes here is uh, started with the most mild one. Have mercy on those who doubt. Dear friends, and let me say this to our, some of our younger postmodern or millennial friends, doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. If you cannot, if you're not willing to doubt something to make it your own, you need to know the Bible calls you not to put your brains in a shoebox and love Jesus, but to wrestle with the reality of there's a lot of things going on in this world, and God gives you a wide margin to say, I understand. Come, let us reason together. It's beautiful when a church is not just giving answers, but offering redemptive presence and welcome. Lived through with some of you in this room, the planning of a church in downtown Franklin, and, and God, by his grace, through my spiritual parents, Jack and Rosemary Miller, gave us a model of be a church that really thinks about who would naturally not walk in your doors for various reasons. And so we sought in 1986 when we planted that church to do two things kind of well. One, preach grace and make sure that from the senior pastor down, nobody needs God's grace more than the leadership of the church. And as we preached grace and created a worship culture where people could actually linger before the Lord, all kinds of people filled that funky old building in downtown Franklin. From Vanderbilt professors to street people to convicted felons to people coming out of stories of trafficking to all kinds of people that don't typically feel at home in a Presbyterian church. What's assumed is this, as the gospel goes deeper in your heart and my heart, we walk in our friendships of brokenness and encouragement. We're honest. We live as a gospel posse. And as we grow older, as, as we older men and women share our stories with the, the, our grandchildren and our kids and, and, and people coming in our community, the gospel becomes more believable when people smell the fact that we're still growing and we're able to say, I need God's work in my heart. Don't raise your hand, but I've been married almost 47 years. In your marriage, have you ever felt like trading the whole thing in for a Diet Coke? Don't raise your hand. I'm so thankful that I've walked in kinds of gospel friendships that when Darlene and I gone through hard times in marriage, you know, we had friends saying, let's, let's, let's fight for each other's hearts and marriages. And that says nothing about anybody in this room that's been divorced one, two, or 17 times. Just saying that in a culture of redemption, we become a people that outsiders would say, maybe I can risk studying God with a people that will not stone me. Luke 15 shows us that we have a father that runs to the, towards the faraway country to welcome home his children that act out most destructively. And he also pursues the self-righteous, rigid, pharisaical types that just basically live life on the premises, but a stranger to the promises. Is Cedar Springs' future gonna look like it is just known this people smell like grace because they're dealing with their own brokenness and sin and they're growing. 
it would be so awesome for that to be the future of this church. It's been your history. This church has a history of conversion growth rate. Thirdly and lastly, I know I've legally had three minutes, so let's do this. Let's do this thing. Last thing this text finishes with, and I'm going to come down here to give a final illustration because I've got to kind of let you see this. We don't have time to walk through all the verses, but look, look at how this marvelous little book finishes. Jude goes from talking about believers having a vision, continuing to grow, grow and grow in grace and become more real, become more like a congregation of velveteen rabbits where we are honest and real and carrying each other to the Lord. We become a people where non-believers and de-churched and unchurched and all kinds of people risk being in our midst, not feeling judged, but at home. And then he finishes with this beautiful benediction that says, along with being those who are growing in the gospel, along with those extending the welcome of the gospel, we are absolutely to be those marveling at the Lord of the gospel. Look at these worship words with which he finishes. And I'll give you one illustration. He finishes his letter with this incredible statement. You can almost see Jude now worshiping the Lord as he says in final words, to him who's able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. What is he doing in conclusion? A benediction doesn't mean good, we can go have lunch now. A benediction is a blessing. And Judas saying, now that I know my half-brother is a Lord of glory, my heart is filled with hope. Join me in living out this story because future is heading towards the day when the Son of God who has married himself to us has made us his bride. He's coming back. He's coming back. Live out this sacred romance in your community. This image of the second coming of Jesus captured my heart and the call to marvel at the beauty of Jesus uh, in a very awkward moment in my first wedding in Nashville, Tennessee. When I first moved to Nashville in 1979, I'm the youth pastor at First Pres Nashville, a very formal church. As the youth pastor guy, I was performing a wedding and everything was great. Wedding rehearsal went fine. The day of the wedding, 7 p.m. Nashville wedding means everybody's in tux and formal wear. I come in with my robe all is good, mothers are seated, groomsmen are beside me, bridesmaids come in, then the doors in the back open, and that's a long, long, long aisle. Doors open, father of the bride moves over, there's the bride. I'm thinking, all right, remember what you're gonna do, Scotty, you're in the city of Amy Vanderbilt, you know, everybody's gonna judge everything you do. Sit up straight, young man, you'll get through this wedding, first wedding. As soon as this bride starts coming up the aisle, the groom beside me takes off, gets down like this, and starts running towards her. What do you do? Youth pastor, formal church, big city, sanctuary that looks like a wedding cake. You pull up your robe, you go grab this young man, not wanting to make eye contact with the moms. You pull him back. But when I got him here and I looked at those moms, you know what I saw? Tears. Look at how my son loves her. Look at how my soon-to-be son-in-law loves my daughter. In that moment, I understood a little of what Jude meant when he says, to him who is able to keep us from falling and present us before his glorious presence. We are that loved. Our future rocks, dear friends. We can risk saying, God, 
Bring your spirit to Cedar Springs Press. Renew us. Our hope is not in our next senior pastor. It's in the gospel. It's in God the Trinity. Would you pray with me now as Alan comes to bring us to this incredible down payment of that wedding feast of the Lamb. Oh, that God would take the 80-year-olds in this room and restore your joy. Oh, that the youngest of you, angry about everything church has meant, will risk believing there is a Redeemer and He loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of these two weeks being at Cedar Springs. My heart has needed to hear these very words, and I praise you, Jesus, that this isn't spin or hype. You love us this radically. And you're more looking forward to your second coming than we are. You are the groom that runs up the aisle for his bride. You gave yourself for us. We celebrate it in this meal. Stir our hearts. Renew our affections for you. Bring many of us that maybe have been in proximity to you, but even yet do not trust you as Savior. Oh, that this would be that day. We pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.